Back again. Back again. Back this is again. a long time coming. Not really. It just seems so. It always is that way, isn't I know. it? Time goes by fast between episodes. I feel like it's been like months between them, even though January just flew by. Yeah, but we're in February now. I'm still getting over our Lions loss. That's sports talk, and that's about all you're going to get for as far as sports talk here. Really bummed out about that, but life goes on. I am also sad about the Lions not making the Super Bowl, but you know what? There is always next year. Nobody expected them to get this far. Yeah. And so it's all about positive thoughts, positive vibrations. Next year, the Lions are going to kick ass. Oh, for sure. And I should introduce myself. My name is Dion. I am a member of Lightning Licks Vinyl Preservation Society, which happens to be a collective of music enthusiasts whose mission is to celebrate and examine our unhealthy, obsessive, (laughs) intimate relationship that we share with the physical media that is vinyl records. And if we were to shorten that, it would be like we're music geeks and we have record collections and we like to talk about it. Yeah. And I'm here with Jay across the dining room table, as always. With the uh, snowflake motif. Motif of the table cover. I have a new like little thing for us. I'm going to start calling us a podcast for musical enthusiasts by music enthusiasts. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds way more professional. I don't know if it sounds professional, but yeah. that's what we are. Yeah. I mean, technically, we're music enthusiasts. Our friends are music enthusiasts. Yeah, if you get down to brass tacks, that's what we is. Exactly. And that's why we're here. And that's what we're doing. So we're leaving 2023 yeah. in the rear view. We're going to get on with 2024. That's where we're at right now. <laughs> Even though we're going to dive into a bunch of old shit here. Yeah, moving forward. <laughs> but backward. Yeah, at the same time. <laughs> doing what we do. Yeah, so you want to go over the theme of this episode? If you're keeping score, we alternate between our theme episodes with the alphabet. And uh, this month, we are at the letter I. Yeah, it's our third vowel. We did A and E already. <laughs> it's our and third we, vowel. Yeah. If you're really keeping track. Yeah. You said, if they are, if you're keeping score, then you better know. I hadn't even thought It's a third that. vowel that you're going to, we're buying this vowel. I hadn't thought about that. And normally with these, we try not to go with the obvious things. I, my Sometimes I, it's hard. My pickings were for I were kind of slim is what I had involved with vinyl. So there are a couple bands here that I'm going to talk about that are not completely obscure, but I'm going to go early on them. I know that you kind of felt the same way, I too. did. Yeah. I did. But obviously, like, you know, there's a lot of eyes that we already covered. We already talked about NXS. We yeah. already talked about Isley Brothers multiple times. Yeah. So we didn't talk about those them. are some of my favorite I-bands that I'm not including, but there's no, other I-bands that I do love that I want to share yes. with everybody out there in Podcast America. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Yeah. The only thing that qualifies for an I-band for us is it's the way you would file it if you owned a music store. So it's the first letter of the surname if it's an artist um, who's a solo artist or the, you know, or the band name starts with an I. That's it. And we own it on vinyl and that's it. That's all that needs to happen. And someone's going to disagree and go, that's not how I put my records together. But then again, that's the way, this is not their podcast. Yeah. And fuck them. And your podcast, you can... <laughs> you can do whatever you want. But this is the way we do it. If you want to talk about Izzy Stradlin, go ahead. It's yeah. going to make me wince, it's not an but I go here. ahead and do it. And I think the rest of the world is like that only because like, I think it's harder for search engines to keep up. But most of the record stores that I have visited shelf things that way. It's kind of universal. And I yeah. worked in music retail long enough. Like that's So we know the rules. We, we know the rules. Know the rules. It's not just Google here. You can't just be like, 
artists that start with I and then you get everybody whose first name starts with I. That's not how it works. It's not easy like that. Everything doesn't have to be easy. Sometimes you got to dig a little. And we digged a bit to find these <laughs> to dig. bring to you. We, why did that sound so wrong? We digged a bit. Because digged isn't a word. It sounds goggy. Yes, yeah. you're right. Yeah. <laughs> English language? That's why. Not my forte, obviously. Yeah. The only rules we heed are the rules of record organization, not sure. of grammar. Not, no, no. That ain't all. our cup of tea. <laughs> it's not. Grammar, linguistics, all that stuff, out the window. Yeah. So welcome to the I episode. We're glad to have you here. Glad to have you here. Glad to have you here. These are the lightning licks. ABCs. You can read along with me in your book. You will notice time to turn the page. When you hear the chimes ring like this. <laughs> Let's begin now. We all live in a capital I In the middle of the desert In the center of the sky And all day long we polish on the eye To keep it clean and shiny So it brightens up the sky Rubbing it here And scrubbing it there Polishing the eye So high in the air We all live You seem pretty fired up, so why don't you go first with the first eye? Let's do that. Let's I, see, just, let's I seem pretty keep, fired up. Yeah, you seem fired up a little bit. Yeah. I'm just excited to hang out with my friend Jay. Me too. We just listened to a bunch of records. Yes. We had some Blue Cherry Bay. Shout out to Blue Cherry Bay. Kenny Jesney Juice. Yeah. Yep. That's what we call it. Yeah. Okay, uh, my first <laughs> eye artist. <laughs> that Unofficial be, sponsor yeah. of the podcast. <laughs> is a gentleman by the name of Weldon Irvine. And on the organ... Lyricist, composer, Weldon Irvine. Irvine, the person, will become very inaccessible to the general public. General public. He's kind of a mysterious fella, not a ton of easily accessible information about him out there on the internet, but I can tell you that Weldon was an American composer, a band leader, a pianist, a playwright, and a mentor to some of hip-hop's most notable stars in the 90s. That is the truth. This dude is an interesting cat. If you read it online, it has to be the truth, by the way. I know it to be true. (laughs) He spent his professional life in New York City. He was into jazz and funk and a bit of rhythm and blues, but it was always groovy shit, no matter where he landed, like on the genre spectrum. It's always grooving. And he got his initial big break as Nina Simone's band leader in the early 70s. So that's pretty cool, right? He is credited with penning the lyrics to her tune to be young, gifted, and black, which is a civil rights anthem that's been covered again and again by many people. So I guess if you could say, what's his claim to fame? That would be his claim to fucking fame. That's a pretty important song in music yeah, history. Sure it, is. it was difficult, however, for our friend Mr. Irvine Masterwell, they called him. That's what the kids called him, to express himself as Nina's band leader because like his primary instrument was the piano as well, but so was hers, so there wasn't a lot of room for them to sort of coexist in her composition, so he left. He did his own thing. He's like, I'm going solo. So he worked with a few other jazz artists, most notably Don Blackman, Freddie Hubbard, and Groove Holmes. And then he released his own records, and he found mild commercial success, uh, but a lot of critical praise for all the work that followed, not only as a musician, but also a playwright. He's one of those artists that saw a resurgence in popularity in the 90s due to the fact that hip-hop producers were digging through their parents' records collection, finding his records, and then sampling the best bits and building songs out of them. That's how I became aware of him. His work was sampled 
uh, by Tribe Called Quest on a song called Award Tour from their Midnight Marauders record, which is a great Tribe album. And unlike many other artists at that time who had their work sampled, Weldon embraced it rather than condemning the art form of hip-hop, right? Because of that, he was able to befriend a lot of the artists who sampled his work. So he became friends and he became a mentor to Q-Tip. He actually taught Q-Tip how to play piano. He did the same thing for most deaf. So that's really fucking cool. And he stayed close with all those hip-hop friends until sadly, in 2002, he committed suicide. He had struggled with mental health issues throughout his life. I think they went unaddressed, so he just blew his head off in the streets of New York City in broad daylight out in front of an office building. That sucks. Pretty sad. (laughs) That's kind of an understatement. Yeah. (laughs) But following Weldon's death, producer Madlib, uh, who we've mentioned numerous times in this podcast, he released one of the many tribute records that were celebrating Weldon's legacy. A lot of artists came out of the woodwork said how influential he was, how great of a guy he was, this and that. So his legacy is strong. So that's the positive spin on this whole situation. There's a documentary that's been released. It's called Digging for Weldon Irvine, which I would love to check out. I've seen the trailer, but I can't figure out how else to like access this movie. Like there's no, like it's just, it just doesn't exist. I don't know if it didn't get distributed or if it's still because of COVID got held up and maybe it's still screening at festivals or something like that. I don't know. But if you can find out anything about Digging for Weldon Irvine, I bet it's going to be a kick-ass documentary. Uh, His discography is pretty amazing. It's not all funk. There's jazz in there, but it is all funky. As I stated before, it's easy to see why he's so heavily sampled by hip-hop producers, not just Tip and Tribe, but also DJ Muggs of House of Pain, Ghostface Killa, Ugly Duckling, and even more modern acts like Earl Sweatshirt, Joyner Lucas have sampled his stuff as well. So he's still kind of relevant in the hip-hop world. How I came across this record that I want to talk about, I'm at the Kitsch. I noticed a record by Weldon Irvine titled The Sisters. And I'm like, oh, I know him. Tribe sampled him. I haven't seen his records out in a while very often. So I'm like, this is worth a listen. I purchase it. I take it home. I drop the needle. And I listen to this record. And there's a song on this record. It's the closing track of side one. And I'm like, man, I've heard this song before. Where have I heard it? Well, I heard it because it was sampled by a producer called Just Blaze in the mid-2000s for a rapper named Memphis Bleak. But there's this one song featuring a dude named Sean Carter, who's more famously known as Jay-Z. It's a song called Dear Summer, and that's an awesome track. And I never really liked Memphis Bleak, but for whatever reason, this one Jay-Z track was stuck on a Memphis Bleak album, and it kicks ass. It seems that all Just Blaze did to build this hip-hop track was he sped the original track up a little bit, and he added some punch, and it works perfectly. And I think sometimes in hip-hop production, a little bit less is more. If it's an awesome song, you can manipulate it just a teeny little bit, and it's going to be awesome on the other end as well. And I love the fact that I, mean, I I'm, until you brought him to the table today, I was completely unfamiliar. I had never heard that name before. Obviously, I know who Nina Simone is. And I asked you, I'm like, has he, has he been heavily sampled? Because I know a lot of times you'll follow that trail backwards. Yeah, and it, it's kind of cool. That's the thing I love about hip hop. Like, you can't really diss on the hip hop bands for like using those samples because they're keeping that stuff alive, or they're re- they're introducing that music to people who would not have heard it right. otherwise. Yeah, there's, there's no reason I would have heard th- that. There's not a thing wrong with that. I don't think so either. Yeah, it's cool. Weldon's collaborator Don Blackman sings on this tune, but the girls, I think there's girls, or it's it might be just Don singing as high as he can, I'm not sure. <laughs> on the refrains, shine brightest on this track. Morning sunrise, the song itself, it sounds like the title of a song, so it's kind of like a sonic onomatopoeia, right? It's like 
the song sounds kind of morning sunshine you know what I mean it just feels like if I were waking up to that tune yeah, I would get some shit it's done it's a perfect vibe yeah it's a great vibe summery slow jam I love it the entire record is good but that closing track on side one is the one that I'm going to include on the mixtape that we're going to produce at the end of this episode morning sunrise uh, from the late great Weldon Irvine dig into his catalog it's definitely worth it He's badass. I'm super happy to be introduced to him because I said it, it, the name meant nothing to me. To yeah. you were wondering very, if he was cool. a new artist. That yeah, was well, going you, back. you sent you sent me the songs, and I was like listening to it, and it sounds like the production is so timeless, like it could have been recorded. And I just made the joke because I thought it actually was a newer artist. Yeah, I said it sounds like 1972, and you're like, that's when it came out. And I'm like, holy <laughs> crap, that's awesome. And I love that timeless kind of feel too for that stuff. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. Jay, you want to start us off with one of the records that you file under I. Yep. As always, I'm going to go with the first band that I thought of, band and or artist I thought of when I realized we were doing I. And that is a band out of Australia called Ice House. I'm um, limitedly familiar with it. That's not even a word either, is it? Limitedly. <laughs> no, it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you're using the right context, as long as people know what you're talking about. I know who they are. <laughs> <laughs> They're an Australian band. They were initially called Flowers. Which yeah. is kind of cool considering like the kind of music they do because it doesn't match at all. No. But the record label in America made them change their name. The first record is called Ice House. The first track side one is called Ice House. And they're like and your the Ice name House. Of the band you as Ice House, which fits perfectly with the kind of music that they do. It most definitely kind of has like a chilly, dark wave, almost even gothy at the first couple records. I can hear that. Melancholic. It's a little bit gloomy. It's very cool. And they're not a synth band per se. I mean, they have. Drawn they have bass, they have guitar, but it is pretty synth heavy and it is pretty dark. Previous episodes we've talked about when I used to go to high school, my high school had a radio station and not a Beverly Hills 90210 that just that went out amongst the school. We had a real tower, we really broadcasted. Yeah, you could tune in all over the area. Exactly. And so it was the rock of the tries. It was the rock of the tries. And so back in the day, it was mostly like a metal, hard rock kind of thing. So I've, I've brought this up before, but I feel like I need to bring it up again. Whatever record would come through that I feel like would not make the playlist, would not make it, I stole, it. I stole it. Yeah. So this first Ice House record is a record <laughs> that I stole. And I love it a lot, too, because I'm a huge like 80s synth guy. And actually, if I'm being honest with you, after that first record, I kind of lost track of them. They actually did have... Some pretty big hits in the 80s. Uh, they have a song called Crazy that made it to number 14 in the Billboard the Top 40. Wow. And the one that I love is Electric Blue, which yeah. which is like, it just epitomizes the 80s for me, but that actually got to like number seven. But I'd actually kind of ignored all that stuff. Like, I honestly, I really just reintroduced myself to the more poppy side of Ice House in the last five years. And I've like I've forgotten like what great solid '80s songs those were, and like Electric Blue was co-written by John Oates of Holland Oates fame. You may have heard of them, and they went ahead and they made like eight records from like between 1980 and 1995. The main guy, Iva Davies. If you look at the Electric Blue video, the best mullet ever. <laughs> and I'm not one of those guys who fight me. But I'm going to say, fight me on that one. You're going to fight me over a bullet? Yeah, Not even you. Anybody who wants to give me some shit about that, that it's not being the best mullet. I'm down with that. I'm going to okay. fight you. Okay. Ivy Davies put out some solo stuff. He's dabbled in soundtracks for films. He's done miniseries in Australia. And he actually kind of put something together for the Sydney Dance Company. So he's still musically busy, but he's not doing the pop thing. Sure. But I also follow this dude on 
social uh, media. On social media. I follow him on Facebook. And he plays all the time in Australia. I would love to, I don't know if anybody in America cares. If he, he would have to get on probably on a package tour um, with an, like other bands to, to make it worth his while. But he plays constantly and he sells out. He's kind of like a, he's a big deal in Australia. He's a big deal. So yeah, Ivan Davies, he's pretty badass. Um, so yeah, all of their stuff is really good. And I like, but I like the earlier, more like kind of gloomy, darky, like, earlier stuff too so and that's where i'm going to go with the the mix and it is from that first ice house record and, and it should be noted too it was initially released in australia as flowers and then when they put it out in america they just they didn't change much they just changed the name and i have to say many years ago i was down in detroit visiting my friend chris and we were at dearborn music and i actually found the flowers record and i didn't buy it wow I, it's ridiculous it's one of the biggest like i kick myself on the ass all the time because no i wouldn't even think about it now i would just buy it yeah. and now when you go on like ebay or whatever they're ridiculous amounts of money oh. and i should have bought it for Could like been 12 dollars yeah so yeah it's from the first record it's a uh, ice house by ice house and the song that i want to use for the mixtape is a track called walls Shoot. Gonna put it on the mix. Yeah. Ice House. I like that track. It's good. Yeah. That band's pretty cool. I know them more as like a like I was telling you, like a dance mix, like a twelve inch mega mix type band, but I think I own a comp. It might be from Australia. I have to look into it. And that. I was surprised that you were even aware of this band, to be yeah. honest with you. Not to like but like I mean you have to be of a certain age to know who Ice House was. So when you told me that you were actually aware of this band already, I was kinda like, Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's cool. <laughs> no. Keep it with the ice theme in our I episode. I'm going to go with my favorite ice artist, which would be Ice Cube. Oh. Another ice for the eye list. This, and I said for the eye list, not eyelish, but <laughs> eye list. This guy needs no introduction, but he'll get no, one anyways. He's a rapper, producer, actor, entrepreneur. O'Shea Jackson Sr., certified badass. Started out with NWA, with Dre and Easy and Company. Obviously. And he went solo, obviously. <laughs> played, he played... <laughs> He played Doughboy in Boys in the Hood. And for me, as a tween and teen, growing up in the streets of South End Bay City, the mean streets of South End Bay City, where we're still podcasting from now. Yeah, deep in the heart. Ice Cube was a pretty big effing deal. Yeah. He pretty much soundtracked a solid five years of my fucking childhood, and I'm not even kidding. Not only me, but millions of white youths. Did you say youths? Yeah. Youths. (laughs) Youths. And black kids, too, obviously. After Cube left NWA and he went solo in 1990-ish, it may have been late 89. I don't know. It may have just taken a while to get all the way up here to the mitten. It doesn't matter. I'm terrible with dates. You (laughs) already know that, though. We've discussed that ad nauseum. The timeline is crazy with this shit. He did so much stuff during this short amount of time. I remember that a neighborhood friend of ours, Jimmy Oshuffle, had a copy of the Kill It Will EP cassette. And it was, like, mind-blowing doesn't even do it justice, man. It was crazy. To us, I was like shook by this tape. Cube's early stuff was produced actually by Bomb Squad of Public Enemy, so it was pretty abrasive and dense. Yeah, and it was quite a bit more violent sounding than the Dr. Dre produced NWA stuff. But then he released his debut, which was called America. 
America's Most Wanted. KKK? Yeah. America KKK's Most Wanted in 1990. And then the next year, he released another album called Death Certificate, which was awesome. And then he got with DJ Muggs and DJ Pooh, and he returned to a more West Coast G-Funk gangster kind of vibe with The Predator in 92. And that album kind of blew the fuck up because Today Was a Good Day was on that record. And then the next year, his fourth LP, Lethal Injection, dropped. So it was like clockwork. He was releasing rap hit records with a quickness. And also during that time, he introduced the lynch mob, produced their shit, and he helped one of my favorite rappers, who happens to be his younger cousin, Del the Funky Homo Sapien, put out his first record. So Ice Cube was all over the place. It was an unbelievable time. And then came all the movies, you know, Friday and shit, and it took longer between releases. But for those first five years, Cube was basically a rap god, and I loved it. That's not to say that I totally understood it, because I didn't, but I did love everything that he put out. Yeah, for sure. Embarrassingly, as much as I am an NWA fan and as much as I have the Easy e stuff, I only know like the the Ice Cube hits, and I feel kind of embarrassed about that. And the track that you're going to be embarrassed—it's funny because the one thing I noticed, like when the track that you're going to use for the mixtape, it did feel very, very West Coast. It had yeah. that feel to it. He's definitely got one of the best voices in rap. He's right up there with Chuck D. He's Super really angry. Yeah, he's really angry all the time. He was yeah. unapologetically political. He was militant, basically. He's basically a fucking black nationalist. And my friends and I, we are not black nationalists. We were. <laughs> Not partisan at all at that time. We were just pasty, pimply pussies. But even now, I don't really entirely align with Q politically as a you know like a white progressive liberal. There is some overlap in our ideologies, but it's easy for me to show him some grace because he meant so much to my childhood. I'm glad that I heard his stuff. I'm glad that I was exposed to it. And uh, you know, I get the irony of all these lower middle class honkies jamming no Vaseline in their Buick Centuries on their way to work at Kroger's and shit. But I get it. But, but there's but, nothing wrong with the fact yeah. that those like bands like the NWA and Ice Cube and Easy E and Dre, if you're a kid in the South End of Bay City yeah. and opened your mind to a world that you were not aware of really existed. Right, right. And Cube was pretty much one of my gateway rappers as well because from then it was on. And he was good. Yeah. If I'm picking a Cube track for the mixtape, it's not an easy task, but I am thinking my favorite Ice Cube album is the latter bookend record of that five-year run, Lethal Injection. I was like 15 when this came out in 93, so I think I had the best understanding of what he was rapping about at the time, and Dr. Dre and Snoop had just burst onto the scene, so I feel like this was kind of Cube's chronic in a way. It was very West Coast sounding, G-Funk to the fullest, and perhaps helped out by the fact that he sampled the bejesus out of Parliament and Funkadelic. That's the way it sounds. Which is what Dre was doing too. He even covered basically a remade One Nation Under Groove with his song Bop Gun on this record. But most importantly, my skills at that time as an amateur rapper had evolved to the point where I could rap along to all these jams in the backseat of my brother's Pontiac Grand Am. And I was down for whatever. And that is the title of the song that I'm picking for our mixtape, Down For Whatever. The beat is awesome. It's actually a sample of this. That's Quincy Jones' Ironside or the Kill Bill freakout fight scene song as it's more commonly referred to, but it slowed way the fuck down. So it ends up being this creepy slow groove, which is paired perfectly with Cube's laid back delivery. My favorite line from this tune 
my buddy Gus brought it up. We were driving to work one day. He's like, what's that one Ice Cube song where Ice Cube's in his PJs and then there's this other dude in a turtleneck sweater? And I'm like, dude, that's down for whatever. And I'm down. For whatever. Yeah. <laughs> the song's awesome. And you should be down, too, out there in Podcast America with Ice Cube. He's our homeboy. We do love the Cube, for sure. So Cube's going on the mix. Yes. Awesome. What do you got for another artist? My next one is a band called Instant Funk. Where they, are they? They were from originally from New Jersey, 70s kind of soul funk. Yeah, uh, funky. They moved to Philadelphia, where all those bands moved to. This was just a find that I came across again at the Electric Kitsch. I just picked it up. And I'm just going to say, as a general rule, anytime I pick up a record and it's got sweet ass, hardcore, sexy black guys who are shirtless yeah. and glistening, yeah. I'm buying it. He's going to buy it. And so, Instant Funk is one of those records for me. And usually when I go to the kitsch, like if it's something that's been like pretty sampledelic, like Jordan will put a little, like, little sticker on it. Or you'll be aware of it. Or I'll be aware it. of it, yeah. So I bought this record, and they did do seven records they made. I don't have all of them between like 76 and 83, and towards they got to the 80s, they kind of moved into like electro-funk. Yeah. But when I first bought this record, I put the needle down on it, and the very first song, and until I started doing the research, I didn't realize what a big hit this was. The first track is a song called I Got My Mind Made Up. We know that one. And I it, know that it was one. A, and I was not aware of it, and it was a huge. It was like number 20 on the Billboard Top 100. It was number one on the dance, Billboard Soul chart, whatever. That whole say what comes from that, which I also did not know. But when you put the needle down on it, it's the WRMS intro to Roller Skating Skating Jam Jam Saturday. And if you thought we were going to get past any episode without mentioning De La Soul, you are so wrong. Because it's a De La Soul sample. Yeah. Prince Paul, use that shit. And it's a great track. It's not even the track I'm going to use for the mix. And for me, too, like within like the last 10 or 15 years or whatever, I really started buying a lot of like obscure disco stuff. So if I see anything on the Sal Soul label, yeah. I just buy it. These guys were not, I mean, I don't have an issue. Like, I don't feel like I want to dis- disco, but these guys were not a disco band. Like, they're they more were, funk. They're more soul funk with a little bit of jazz in there, too. Super cool. The song that I want to use for the mixtape, though, is a track that is called Never Let It Go Away. So sexy. Which is such a sexy, badass song. And we were talking about it before. And I'm just going to say this. I don't care what you identify as. Whether you identify as a man, a woman, a they, a rutabaga, whatever it is. If you listen to this song, you're going to get pregnant. Yes. It is very much a living room lava lamp slow dance in the living room hey love know my brother you got to buy your own <laughs> ballad yeah it is so badass and everything about it is slinky and sexy there's like parts in the song where the singer is like i'm gonna probably peg the needle on this but there's a couple different times where he's like oh and it's so good and it's so sexy and i love these guys so much so Such a good track. yes i only have a couple records by them too but i love the fact that it gives me a chance to try to like come across them in the wild. Like I love the fact that I don't have everything by them and I can find stuff by them eventually. But they have a lot of records out, but it's their second record, self-titled Instant Funk. And the song that I'm going to use for the mix is the one I just said it was going to use, which is Never Let It Go Away. So yeah. be careful. If you don't want to get pregnant, Yeah, don't listen. you might want to listen to this song. But if you're fine with raising yeah. a child, yeah. It's the consequence of listening to the yeah. song. It's going to turn you on. I'm just going to say. <laughs> it's it's going to make you a little bit randy. Yeah. You feel a little randy when you listen to it. <laughs> it's, it's baby making music, and it's so much that. It's perfect. Yeah. What do you got, Dave? 
I want to talk about an artist who goes by the moniker of Iron and Wine. That would be folk artist Sam Beam. Most listeners of this pod are likely aware of him. He gained popularity in the early to mid-aughts. He covered Postal Service's Such Great Heights, which was probably his breakout moment. He's had bigger songs since then, but that was probably what put him on the map at least commercially, but he continued releasing records and he's still creating and he's touring and he's one of those artists that I will always listen to see what he is up to. I will always listen to an Iron and Wine record. I'm a big fan of his work and the reason is he hooked me from day one. Now my friends, Brent and Gary, are responsible for helping me uh, find this guy to hipping me to this guy when they burned me a CD of his debut, which is for the most part an unpolished demo recording that Sub Pop Records got a hold of and then eventually released as is. The Creek Drank the Cradle is the title of it. Um, that's the one I brought to the dining room table with me today. And it's bedroom folk at its finest, acoustic tunes recorded on a four track, a fair amount of hiss, like tape hiss. Not really the environment kind of hiss, but like it's tape hiss. You can kind of hear that on all the recordings. He played all the instruments, guitar, banjo, slide guitar. It's a great album. He was often compared early on, at least, to Nick Drake, Elliott Smith, and I totally get why that For was sure. the case. Absolutely, yeah. There were there was uh, Iron and Wine was like one of, again back in the day when I used to work at New Moon Records. That was like one of the like, to lump them into the sad bastard category. But yeah. all the kids that I worked with were huge on Sam. They loved his stuff, and I really never got around to it too. But I was listening to that song that you sent me that you're going to use for the mixtape too, which I will, I'll let you tell what song it is. And it's the lyric, like lyrically, it's just it's brutal. Yeah. Like it's so sad in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. Like I really, like I, I feel like I've missed out, and I'm I feel like kind of ridiculous for like dismissing him. But I feel like I need to listen to more of his stuff. And he's always been great with words, and he's got some great records, man. I've never been let down with his shit, but for some reason, I always find myself going back to his first record more than any of the others. It's just so raw and it's lo-fi and it's beautifully bare bones and there's an almost creepy quality to it that I don't even think he's been able to replicate with his more polished efforts because it's like impossible. It's like literally, I feel like it's like, like if you go to this guy's bedroom and he's sitting on the corner of his bed and he's playing these songs for yeah. you. He can still succeed at beautiful and polished, no doubt, but I love the authenticity of that raw recording. It just sounds like you just believe it. His vocals sound hushed and delicate, but the harmonies are always there when he double tracks them shits. And there's like layers of emotion when he's treating his words and it makes me believe him. And I know better. I know he didn't actually experience all of these things that he talks about in his songs because they're very fictionalized, very specific references that he imagines, but it sure sounds like he did. You know that there's there's beauty in darkness. Bonnie Prince Billy is another artist for me that has a similar skill of producing really dark yet beautiful music, and Sam's no different. I'm a big fan of Iron and Wine. So if it has been a while since you've been experiencing any of this guy's work, maybe revisit it because it's good. It's not always a fun listen, as Jay said. It's a sad listen, but it is a good listen. It's like fulfilling. I've used this record as a reference album for the things that I've helped create. Um, anytime that you're creating art for art's sake, you typically have like a reference in mind, whether it's something that you're writing, it's an author that you're thinking about, or if you're doing a film, whatever the case. So our friend Josh and I produced a DIY folk record a number of years ago. And while I was mixing our record, I would go back and listen to this record, especially in the way that the banjo and the slide would creep into tracks. We couldn't sing as well as Sam. We couldn't write songs as well as Sam, but Josh could play pretty well, and we could at least treat our record to sound a little bit like this because the authenticity that is 
apparent in this record is something that I wanted to have on our record because like we didn't experience a lot of the things we wrote about either and I wanted the listener to at least believe it I wanted some street cred you know what I'm saying I love it the song for the mix is going to be upward over the mountain this song is a builder the slide guitar sounds wicked when it makes its appearance the lyrics they're solid they actually contain the album title within the lyrics so that makes me believe that sam really loved this tune it's basically about a young man singing to his mother some really strange vividly poetic passages for the most part sort of like inside experience but he's basically leaving and becoming a man and telling old mama not to worry and it's just it's sad in the end because she's going to be left alone the same way that we leave all our moms for the most part and then all our moms eventually leave us and i'm like god damn it that's heavy but sometimes art is heavy it's so hard yeah and i was when i was listening to that too i brought it up on youtube and uh I was like listening to the and they had somebody had put the lyrics in the in the comments. And if you've ever, I mean, if you, obviously, we're all going to lose our mothers at some point. But if you've already lost your mom, this the lyrics are just they're again they're fucking brutal. And just reading the comments in the YouTube section for this song with people who like connected to this because they've lost their mother, yeah, that kind of like universality just doesn't happen all the time. Like he nails it. Like honestly, it's like kind of goosebump inducing when you listen to the lyrics. If you've already lost your mom, it's hardcore. It right. really is. So, uh, that's a bummer. <laughs> la la la. <laughs> do, 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 do. Sunshine. La la la. Uh, that's Upward, Over the Mountain, a song by Iron and Wine, one Someday. of my favorite eye artists. Someday your mom is going to die. Yeah, someday your mom's going to die. (laughs) And when she does, the song will comfort you like a big wet, like a big blanket. Yeah, not a wet blanket. I didn't say wet. Who's comforted by a wet blanket? I thought you were going to say wet. No, no, I just said wet. By a big fuzzy blanket. Okay. Yes. That way, cozy. (laughs) Yes, cozy. You'll feel the the universal grief that we all feel when you finally lose your mother. Okay. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Hard to transition out of that. I'm going to kill myself right now. (laughs) That's depressing as shit. Do you got another eye artist you want to make us hip to? This is going to kind of also fall in the same category as um, earlier on with the Ice House, and this is a band called Icicle Works. Could another you, ice band. Another, yeah. When I sent you my my list, you were like, you're pretty heavy on the ice thing. I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of frozen water in here. Like, I feel like the three of my five are all frozen water bands. Icicle Works, for me, is a band that I could have used when we talked about, like, One Hit Wonder is where you should probably dig a little bit deeper, <laughs> although... I did some research. There are some critics who would disagree with me, <laughs> but they but they did. They had a hit in um, 1984 called "Birds Fly" in parentheses, "Whisper to a Scream." It was all the things that was great about the 80s. It was there were certain songs that I hear when I hear them. I still have I get the same rush as the first time I heard them. Like "In a Big Country" is one of those songs. This song is the same thing. It's all like 80s super reverby, like huge monster drums swirling guitars it's it's a great song um i remember buying that when it came out and i and continued to buy their stuff they're a really cool band regardless of what the critics say the main songwriter guitar player his name is ian McNabb. he has recorded they the ice works themselves have recorded like five records between like into the, the 1990s he has recorded a shit ton of solo stuff that i have never heard before but i just want to kind of touch upon because this is crazy to me. The drummer, Chris Sherrock, okay. is the drummer. He has this is this is his resume. Okay. He left Icicle Works. All right. To play with the Laws. 
All right. He has played with the Lightning Seeds, okay. World Party, All right. Robbie Williams, That's it? Delamitri, what else? The Eurythmics, okay. Oasis. Really? Played with BDI, which is Liam Gallagher's yeah. post Oasis, and then switched sides and is now playing with Noel Gallagher's High Flying. What a Birds. fucking traitor. Dude, that guy has played with everybody. I think yeah. that's super impressive, and I didn't realize it until I started doing some research on the band that he had, had done so much stuff. The original, cool. yeah, the original bass player has. Uh, he, I think he like teaches music and stuff too. He's not really in the music industry anymore, but they're a super cool band. I feel like if if a Whisper to a Scream had come out a couple years later, you'd have seen it all over like 120 minutes. They're just one of those super earnest British post punk alternative bands. They're very very cool. I just wanted to bring up one of the records. what do the critics have to say, <laughs> Jay? This made me laugh because I really do like their stuff. And I can't even now remember which record it is. It may be the record that I'm talking about, which is a record called Blind. Actually, it is, now that I think about it. But I was, <laughs> I was researching this in Trouser Press, which was, that was like one of my magazine Bibles when I was in high school. When they reviewed this, this was their review of Blind. A mixed-up mainstream mush of loud rock, quiet soul, and gutless funk. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like they love it. But if I had read that, I could not have broken my leg fast enough to get out there to buy something that somebody hated so much. Yeah. So the the record, the song that I want to use for the mix is from that record that universally loved yep. by uh, Icicle Works, and it's on their second or third record called Blind. And the song that I'm going to use is a, it's a, it's a cool song. It's called Starry Blue Eyed Wonder. Mm. They're very good at the the whole like not in the Pixies way the light the the quiet loud, but like all of their stuff starts off kind of like jangly and it just always kicks in with this big anthemic chorus always, which the Brits are really good at. And uh, <laughs> disregard all the things you read about them on Trouser Press. Yeah, I for one am excited <laughs> to hear some mush rock and gutless <laughs> funk on the mixtape. Gutless funk, that is so harsh. I know. It's so harsh. But I love the band. It's Ice School Works. Buy all their stuff. Don't The critics, I don't know. They don't, they don't even pay for the records. They get them free from the record company. They don't know shit. Fuck them. It doesn't even matter. Ice School Works, Starry Blue-Eyed Wonder from Blind. That's what's going on the mixtape. What do you got, Dion? I got a band <laughs> that I don't think the critics hate as much as they hated your last band. No one does. Um, it's In the Whale, all one word, uh, all in caps, In the Whale, Colorado-based rock duo. They're almost heavy metal, a band that has made multiple tour stops in and around Bay City, which is our hometown yeah, over the years. Yeah, they're honorary Bay Cityans at this point. They cultivated kind of a cult following here. Like, I personally know probably 30 people who really love this band yeah. and who, I would, if they were around, I would expect to see at their shows. And we all support these guys and their music careers. It's a great feeling to have an honorary brethren that lives on the other side of the country. It's yeah, cool. Because they're from Colorado. Colorado. Yep. Nate Valdez and Eric Riley are the yep. two dudes. Nate on guitar asses. and vocals. Eric behind the kit. He also does some vocals, metal vocals, growls, scowls, that kind of thing. Yeah. This band is one that you may want to see live. They're one of the best live bands I've ever heard, I've ever seen. You saw them outside of Bay City, right? I'll tell that story when we get to it. Yeah, but yeah, one of the best live bands I've ever seen ever. I've seen them in the record store. I've seen them in a bar a bunch of times. I've seen them in a the warehouse. Too, yeah. Yeah. Local shows they always destroy. So good at what they do, and what they do is heavy rock music. Two There's piece. 
Yeah, an essence of metal and some grunge present, maybe some hardcore punk, but this shit is always energetic and it's fierce, no matter what specific inspiration that they bring into the songs. This past October, they released a long player titled Chosen at Random. I think technically this is their debut full-length album. They have had other albums with six and seven songs on it, so it it just depends on your perspective, what makes an album or whatever. And what makes an EP, and yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. I think it's their debut, or some people would... they wouldn't be wrong and if they called it And they've put out a ton debut. of stuff up to this point. They've been around for a while. I mean, I've, we've all got a bunch of stuff by them, too. Yeah. At any rate, the record's killer. They both master their instruments well enough to uh, have these songs sound full as fuck, even just with the two of them. But I'm also impressed with both of their vocal abilities, especially on this release. Metal isn't typically what I choose to listen to. I'm sure that I've been missing out on some great shit in that genre because I don't spend enough time with it. But there was a time when hard alt rock is what I was listening to, but it was always, you know, rock with an edge, however you want to classify it. I consumed a lot of heavy stuff back in the day, and so I can can definitely see my, like, it's not, like, out of the realm of possibility that I would love this music. It just right. takes me back to a time when I loved a lot more music that had the similar feel to it. Both of these kids were raised in religious households, so the lyrical content seems to be, like, a rebellious kind of thing. Um, you know, they're likely rebelling against what they have been taught. It's it's not too deep. It's not like King's X or Rush by any means. But there is a certain sophistication present in their social commentary and their lyricism. And I appreciate that, too, because there's a very fine line. We talked about this, and this is just my opinion. I'm not out to offend anybody. But butt rock, the shit that you would hear on the local rock station, and this, they have some similarities. Yeah. But there's a fine line. And they're better in the whales better yeah we talked about that as we were listening to the song like I feel like if you had played these guys on Z93 people who listen to that shit would eat it up but it's better than 99.9% of all of actually you know what no it's not it's better than 100% of the shit that the douche rock station plays right Nate had a side project a few years ago under the moniker of Valdez which Which we we featured on the podcast also really cool a little lighter than in the whale but still great stuff to check out if you're into it and I'm into it the song from the mix that I want to put on is uh, from Chosen at Random their latest record is a track called Animals there's kind of an emo feel to this track emo how i would describe it also a swirling synth sound that's it's likely a pedal effect not keys but if you like bands like sunny day real estate or promise ring or mineral or any of that stuff from the mid to late 90s this song may be up your alley because i feel like there's some similarities there and uh, you'll likely be into in the whale so and, check and, it out and if you do not like that stuff but you like the heavier shit yeah. they're also gonna yank your crank in that way too they, they've gotten progressively like heavier and I remember talking to a friend of mine. They're like, I wasn't sure that from the first riff from the new record whether I was going to like it. But the thing, what they do is so melodic. Yeah. It's a matter of how heavy it is. But I just, the story that I want to tell about these, like, like we've had them at the festival a couple different times. Uh, Hell's Half Mile uh, Film and Music Festival. Check it out online. I went down with my friend Jeff, and we went down to see The Darkness down at St. Andrews. I can't remember what year it was. In the way it was the opening band, the band that had was supposed to open like where, where they, they bailed, and it was like a last minute thing. They were so amazing to me, like, and they did. I always feel like Detroit crowds are really fucking jaded. Their arms crossed impress me. They're almost too cool for school, and I it is what it is. I have never seen an not even a headlining band, an opening band, get an entire St. Andrews floor down on their knees. Like wow. they had them 
it's hard enough to do that with a headlining band, but they were an opening band. They owned that audience, and they had us down on our knees on the floor at St. Andrews. And they do that thing where they build up and everybody just jumps up and does. they've been doing that for years and it's yeah. fucking cool. It's so like it's a great feeling. It's like it's awesome. They were super impressive live. And then just meeting them at the table, the whole they had that whole Primus thing going like, yeah, in the whale sucks. We suck. It's yeah. always about that too. They're just yep. the nicest guys on top of that, which makes me loving their music even cooler that, that they're such great guys too yeah and then they just happened to did you have a hand in bringing them or did they just happen well I to- remember exactly I, it's funny because I remember Cole our friend Cole was booking bands for Hell's Half Mile for a while and he texted me he goes have you heard of a band called In The Whale and I shit my pants I'm like are you kidding me yes I have and he was like, well, because that was the year that we got Electric Six. Yeah. And Electric Six, they were touring with Electric Six, and we had them for the film festival, but they didn't have a gig that night that they played the festival, so that's why they ended up playing the Electric the record, Kids yeah, they in the record, the store. record store. Yeah, and he's like, have you heard of them? I'm like, yeah, me and Jeff Cartland saw them, and they were amazing. So it was it was just weird, out of nowhere, the planets were aligned for, like, uh, in the way to be honorary Bay Cityans. And then they've came back Numerous multiple times, times yeah. for one-off shows on a yeah. Wednesday, and we packed that fucking yeah. place. and every time they tour, they, yeah. they make it a point to come through Bay City and play BMOs, and it's fucking cool. That's what I'm saying. These guys are they're just the nicest guys. Super cool nice guys and they happen to be one of my favorite i bands in yeah. my collection They're in the whales check They're them out for sure jay you got another one that you'd file under i know that i do i know you do and this is another band that you were familiar with they only recorded one record and it's called the Iceman's band right and they basically the record is called introducing the Iceman's band and they're called that because they were the backup band for jerry, jerry butler. butler who yeah is a songwriter, producer, instrumentalist. He recorded records from like 1958 till 1983, and they called him the Iceman, so hence, this is the Iceman's band. And this came out in 1972. It is very much what you would think it is. It's a very cool, funk, kind of mellow, kind of groovy soul record. It's awesome. It's cool, they have some interesting things on there too, like they do, like a six minute version of like and we still need to do the episode where we pick where we just do Beatles, Beatles covers, covers yeah because they do this, this awesome. six and a half minute version of Come Together that is super great they also do uh, People Gotta Be Free which was a hit by the Rascals uh, the song that I'm going to use for the mixtape though is a song that they, it's called People Make the World Go Round it was initially put out on the first Stylistics record yep. so it has a Philly Soul thing that connection to the Philly Soul thing and it came out that same year but this is their instrumental version of that song. And it's fucking, the dynamics in the song are incredible. Yeah, written by Tom Bell and Linda Creed, the, the two songwriters that wrote so many of those songs, those Philly Soul songs. It's just really cool. They only made the one record. It, it's not mind-blowing. It's not yeah. going to change the world. But just kind of throwing it on, it's just funky and cool. Yeah, the lore about it and the reason I heard about it is because one of the dollar records that would be possessed by every hip-hop producer ever because it's been so heavily sampled and not necessarily the loops of songs but just little drums or little chimes or little bells or little vocal melodies that's been chopped to fuck yeah. in the hip-hop universe it's a great record and it was that way because it was so accessible why it ended up in the dollar bin i do not know i do not know fucker rules. it does rule and there's a lot of really cool space and like the songs are, are when they it's very soul but there's a lot, a lot of space in the music which is really really cool 
and I, I think I probably picked this up for a few bucks. I yeah. think I bought this at the Kitsch too. There's but some gospel vibes in there too. For sure, yeah. absolutely. So yeah, if you come across introducing the Iceman's band, pick, pick it, it up. up. It'll make your life a little bit better for sure. Pick it up. Yeah, what do you have? This is a good tie into that last. <laughs> you said Jerry Butler was Jerry Butler. The, the guy that yep. did that. Well, the Jerry Iceman. Butler was also one of the original founding members of this next band, and what? they are called the Impressions. Say what? Say what? <laughs> These guys are legends. Gospel, R&B, yeah. doo-wop, and most notably Northern Soul, a vocal group formed in the late 50s in Chattanooga, Tennessee, before moving to Chicago in the early 60s. These boys could sing. The most famous Impressions lineup was Curtis Mayfield, who's probably the most famous. Obviously. <laughs> Sorry, that's just an ongoing joke. I apologize. It's an inside, about, joke. Yeah, it's an inside joke. Obviously, Curtis Obviously. Mayfield was Obviously. in the Impressions. <laughs> um, <laughs> he joined in 1960. He left in 1970 to start his own record label, Curtis Records, then went on the other things. The other dudes that were the most popular lineup were Sam Gooden and Fred Cash. So we're talking about from 1960 to 1970, a period where Curtis Mayfield wrote a majority of the material, and he was essentially attempting to keep up with Motown during that decade-long period, where we would see 13 impression full-length albums released. So they were busy during that decade-long period. And I assume if you're squaring up against those Motown hit makers, you're talking The Temptations, Marvin Gaye, The Four Tops, The Isley Brothers. You're going to have to keep up with those acts you better be releasing like some good shit and they did motown even sued mayfield a few times during this period some of the said hits that he penned uh were a little bit too similar according to the lawyers to those written by holland dozier holland so due to litigation there are some impressions tracks that are now credited to mayfield and holland dozier holland on the same song which is fucking insane to think about but it's the truth they released classic records full of a ton of civil rights anthems and love songs. And this, I just found this out when I was doing the research. I didn't realize it before. But the Funk Brothers are on the instrumentation, which I didn't know this, on People Get Ready and Keep On Pushing, their two most famous albums. Uh, Funk Brothers did the tracks. And if you don't know who the Funking Funk Brothers are, they are a group of studio musicians. Um, there's a great documentary on these guys. There's no definitive list but there are about a dozen or so undisputed maestros that have been identified as funk brothers most of their work was for motown but there are some other studios that they worked for including paramount abc which is how they hooked up with the impressions atlantic brunswick and chess the point being that if you see funk brothers are involved in a record it is guaranteed to be dope it's worth picking up for sure you just grab it yeah don't even question that just do it do it for the mix, I own probably 10 Impressions LPs, mostly during Curtis's tenure since I am a huge fan of his and a collector of his, but I'm going to go with this record. It's 1967's This Is My Country. It's really representative of everything that made the group so special. You've got solid soul grooves, you got delicate three-part harmonies, a little bit of doo-wop, some northern soul. Production is spacious yet tight. There's like a depth to the instrumentation on this record, and it's not just like the drums are buried in the mix kind of depth. It's like they sound far away, but you can hear them kind of depth. It's really fucking cool. They're present, they're just further back spatially. They got earwormy hooks aplenty on this thing, and the song that I want to include is called I Am Loving Nothing, and that'll go on the mix. This is a total heartbreaker. Lyrics are yep. deep with emotional complexity. He's basically like, I wanted all these things. I'm capable of loving you. I'm capable of all this admiration and dedication, but the reality is, is that you're not available, so there's nowhere for me to focus on my love, therefore, I'm loving nothing. I'm loving nothing. 
That's a heartbreaker. It man. is a heartbreaker. You give up. You could have. I give up. You could have had it all. <laughs> now I, I love nothing. I give up. Thanks a lot. <laughs> way to go. What a waste. Beautiful song. But yeah, it is an amazing song. I was not familiar with it until we listened to it today. Or you sent me the list of songs. It's, it is a great song for sure. It'll fit on the mix anywhere. And speaking of the mix, we got one more song to add to it. Jay, what is your final I band? Okay, so this is another one that most people, if you are of a certain age, you are aware of this particular artist. And it's a gentleman named Donnie Iris. Donnie um, Iris. He was a dude that came out of, he was a, he was a Pennsylvania boy, Pennsylvania dude. And uh, he had a huge hit in the... Huge. Um, well, let me just... He, most people know him because he had a huge hit in 1980 with a song called Aaliyah. A-H, exclamation point, Leah, L-E-H, exclamation point. He had a huge hit with that. It is awesome. It is awesome. And it, it still gets played on classic rock radio all the time. He had a couple other huge hits. One is called Love is Like a Rock that went to number 37 on the billboard charts that was a huge roller skating jam for us back in the day like 1981 when that came out it actually had a hit that i'd completely forgotten about called my girl that actually made it higher than even ali it made it number 25 in the billboard top 40 charts and it's kind of like if the beatles had done like doo-wop it sounds like that which is super cool He's still releasing records like crazy. He tours like crazy. He's released like 12, 11 or 12 records since 1980. He's still doing it. It's kind of cool too because he was also in a band previously to that. There's the, he's heard the, here's like the little asterisks on his career. He was in a band called the Jaggers. Yeah. And he had a hit the in rapper. 1970 called The Rapper, which is yeah. really cool. I've always loved that song. The Rapper. It's really awesome. And it made it to actually number two on Billboard's charts, too. I feel like Casey Kasem right now. Mm-hmm. And they released three like really cool records. And then also, too, here is the most asterisk of the asterisks <laughs> is that he was actually a member of Wild Cherry. Yeah. Post play that funky music. Right. Like he was not on that record, but he played on the records after that. And, and that's where he, he met his yeah, and, and bandmate. That, yes. Yeah. And then he had his musical co-conspirator. And like he recorded records with them following that too, which is pretty cool. So he has his band, Donnie Iris and the Cruisers, and I love that he's still out there and he's still doing it. One of my one of my favorite things about Aliyah though, I remember when it first came out, and this is back in the day like when you didn't have the internet and stuff. There's something really super sexy about that song, Aaliyah. Yeah. And every time like, somebody posts something about that, like on Facebook or whatever, too, they post that video, almost all the women, they go, oh my God, we thought he was so sexy. And then we saw the video. Yeah. And he's this he's tall, a nerd. he's a pre-hipster nerd. He's this tall, gangly guy with tight, curly hair with Buddy Holly glasses. And there's nothing sexy about him, but it still makes him completely sexy. I love that image, and, and I love that there's so many hipsters that look like him, but he was like 40 years ahead of the game on top of that, which is great, too. Yeah. And I remember getting the Back on the Streets record. That's the record. That's the, his first record. That's one that has Aliyah on it. And I remember I was going to high school, and this kid had won it from WHNN, which was our local rock station, and he did not like it, and <laughs> he gave it to me. And I just played the shit out of it. I still love it. All of this stuff is cool. The Back on the Streets, King Cool, his second record, the third record, The High and the Mighty, those are all good. Fortune 410, which is his fourth record. And after that, I kind of lost track of him. Back on the Streets is so good. And that's that first record that I'm going to pull from for the mixtape. It's a song called Joking. There's nothing cool about the song. 
the guy who lyrically the guy there's nothing who, cool lyrically yes, about the this guy song. The guy who is singing the song is a complete douchebag. That's a this is our disclaimer. <laughs> I'm just saying it right now. The song is fucking cool. But yeah. the basically the whole gist of the song is he lies to this chick yep. to get into her pants. Yep. She's a virgin. Yep. Takes her virginity. Yep. Continues to lie after yep. he pops her cherry. Yep. He's a dink. Yeah. This guy is a dink. But ass. the song is fucking, fucking awesome. cool. Yeah. And it's a song called Joking. And that's the whole thing. It's like I was joking. And he it, it, the whole song is like all these lies that he tells her, <laughs> which is not cool. But the song Don't is, do that. But the song is cool. And, He's uh, playing the villain pretty, pretty good. Exactly. Here. And even in the chorus, he just stops. The chorus is like, all I wanted was a little bit of, and yeah, it just stops. You and you blank. know what he wants. Yeah, I know what you say. And one of my favorite parts of the song, too, is the kind of the anti solo in the middle of the song. Like, I love, there's that break, and you always expect like a big guitar solo or some kind of solo. I always think of like Steve Miller, who is like kind of the anti guitar player. Like, when I hear like, Abracadabra, which the solo is just these weird scrunky sounds, or Rockin' Me Baby, where he's just playing this kind of rhythm thing where a solo would normally go. This is the same thing with this song, Joking. It's just kind of this muted, the muted string thing, and he just breaks into like these weird harmonics. Whoever's playing guitar, I don't even know who's playing guitar, and then just this big like whoosh of synthesizer, and it's just really cool. So he just he totally straddles that line between hard rock and new wave the, yeah. the synthesizers kind of make it more new wavy but if you only know the couple songs by Donny Iris or if you're not familiar with Donny Iris at all his stuff is cool yeah. it's good even though he's writing he's songs asshole. about dickholes but yeah. yeah it's badass the song wouldn't make it today no it would not make it today but there's so many good songs from the past that you would know that happen. villain is yeah. the, the main character of the song yeah. so if you just take a look at it like that how lame would our lives be if we could never discover life through the eyes of a villain in art right exactly yeah, yeah. and it's just a character yeah. it's just a song yeah, about he this, doesn't really of this dick he didn't really who's lie. not this guy he wasn't joking <laughs> he was and he, he wasn't, wasn't joking but yeah so that's my last one joking Donny Iris from the record back on the streets all this shit's cool though check it out for yeah sure. man yeah. I'm revisiting that I didn't know any of his other I mean I knew Aaliyah that's it and uh it's a great song that's a great yeah. song too he's quite the artist yeah I'm glad that I know that he did some other shit yeah and I, I like that song the rapper too and that's weird that, it's so good yeah it's weird that he had a hand in that yeah, from 1970 yeah. what was he 10 and the fact that they made like three records like this was completely unfamiliar like I didn't know that they made that many albums too together I only know that song by them another interesting on tidbit that I found out while I was doing research on yours because we're such dorks we research each other's shit <laughs> well, sometimes is that Aliyah they got sued by some other band that said that it was intellectual property and it was too close to the song that they had released earlier Uh-oh. but they had never heard that song so the guy who co-wrote that song with him um they defended themselves in court they won but it cost him a hundred thousand dollars and so that guy ended up going to law school and becoming an intellectual property lawyer until this day i guess he's one of the best around because he had that experience of defending himself and his buddy with that song (laughs) yeah his co-conspirator his name is mark avsek yep and he played pretty much everything on the yeah, record. And he like was a producer. On, on the first record, he co-wrote all the songs. He was yeah. very much involved in Donny Iris's career, for so sure. So now that guy is who you talk to if you think somebody <laughs> stole your shit. Now, <laughs> if you're mad because we are breaking copyright laws with every second that we are producing a podcast, don't contact that guy. Don't let him. <laughs> no, should not no, be we, aware we of that. We beg you, do not call him. 
but, but if you need him, he's around for a little bit longer. Maybe he's retired. He's probably retired right yeah, now. I don't know. Let him enjoy his life. life. Yeah. I, but Donnie Iris is still gigging. He's still touring. He's playing a lot. I mean, the guy is super busy. Again, another person I follow on Facebook because nice. I'm a dork. He's very active, which is cool. I mm-hmm. love that. Those rock are still and roll, they're man. doing it. Yeah. Rock and rock roll. And roll. That's, what else are you going to do? Yeah. You're a rock star. You're going to rock. Exactly. Yeah. I don't figure you're a jazz guy or a blues guy. It's like music is what you do. You just keep playing it until you drop dead. Expire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So that kind of winds up our, our eyes, right? That's our yeah, eye the, the eyes have it? Yeah. <laughs> the eyes have it. The, uh, I was, you know, I was thinking we were gonna have way more puns than we actually did. So I'm glad that one just snuck out. I, I've been kind of like holding back on that yeah. one. So I'm like, I was gonna bring that in the, for the beginning of it. The episode should be called. But well, the eyes have it. The eyes okay. have it. Yeah, I'll keep that in mind. Listen, uh, a mixtape is coming at yep. you right now exactly. that Jay's gonna put together, and we hope you enjoy that. And we'll be back after that. Sound good? Deal. Sounds good. Aye aye, Captain. Aye, aye. <laughs> oh yuck! I know that one was bad. Yo, man, trip this. I was down on Ave, man. This one was in me wrong, so I put up a fucking nine and I smoked his ass. Woke up. Yo, 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 wake up. What's wrong with you, man? Yo, I had a fucking dream, man. What the fuck was the dream about, Z? I dreamed that I was hard, hard.
feet hurt. Inside the mind of a carjacker. And that bitch is slipping. Before the pop, 
All right, and we are back from the mix. We We're hope back. you enjoyed that. I did. Thank you for hanging out with us again, as always. As always. And as always, tell a friend. Our next episode is going to be our what are you fucking with? What are you obsessing with? What are you ever listening to episode? That's going to be coming up in probably in a couple weeks. And yeah. that's where we bring in our special super secret friend. Who's it going to be? We don't, we don't know. know. You don't yet. know. We'll yeah. find out. It's a crapshoot. Yep. Who, Who knows? Who knows? But thanks for taking the ride with us. Thanks for hanging out with us, as always. It's super cool. We do appreciate everything. And then, I don't know, enjoy your last fleeting days. Is it technically spring? And I don't know. Enjoy your Valentine's Day. Yeah, Valentine's Day. <laughs> We're not going to do a Valentine's episode. We're just going to do this episode. But whatever, 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 we hope you all get some on Valentine's Day. Yeah. That's all we're saying. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. Cheers and ciao. Bye. 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 <laughs> <laughs>